Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast, episode 143. I am Merlin from Metal Hammer. Hello there. Joining me also from Metal Hammer is Miss Eleanor Goodman. Hi, Elle. Hello there. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, and also joining us is Mr. Stephen Hill from Metal Hammer and other things as well. How are you, Steve? I'm right, thanks, mate. Pretty good. Those things are, you make that sound weird when you say other things, like it's illegal. Perfectly <laughs> <laughs> above board. All the other things I do are perfectly legal things that you can do. Now I, mean, I feel like I'm hiding something. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know who says, who thinks the word things just means crime automatically. <laughs> Well, it's because it's quite vague, isn't it? And he does, you know, he does it. Well, he does other things. I don't want to talk about. It. I'm not like a porn star or lander. Perfectly legal. Yeah, but I, you might have been ashamed of it. Get on with it. Get on with the intro. Come on. All right, I'm joined by Elf, Elf from Metal Hammer and Steve from Metal Hammer and shoplifting. Uh, it's nice <laughs> to see you, everybody. <laughs> he doesn't shoplift. Uh, we have got a brand new issue of Metal Hammer out right now. Uh, assuming this goes up on Thursday like usual. It's out on Thursday this week. It is the big review of the year. This is our biggest issue of the year. I mean that quite literally because it comes packed with some awesome goodies, uh, as well as our big review of the year, which features a ton of brand new and previously unpublished interviews with a ton of big bands, the bands that defined your year so far. I'm talking about the likes of Metallica, uh, Trivium, Backwash, uh, Nightwish are in there, Barry Tomorrow in there, Oceans of Slumber are in there, Code Orange are in there, loads and loads of great bands, all the bands that made 2020 a banger of a year for heavy metal. We also have our top 50 albums of the year as voted for by the esteemed contributors of Metal Hammer magazine. We'll be going through some of that on next week's podcast, but um, we'll talk a bit more about that later. Uh, and as well as all of that, the new issue in UK editions comes with a CD featuring the biggest metal tracks of 2020. It comes with the second ever Metal Hammer activity book featuring a ton of ridiculous activities and fun bits and bobs you can do. Crosswords, spot the differences, uh, weird band logo deciphering, codes, all sorts of weird shit. It's great. Uh, that's in there as well. And, and on top of all that, We've got a 2021 calendar starring the likes of Merkid, Nightwish, Parkway Drive, many, many more. It's a huge issue, uh, and it is uh, you're going to want to you're going to want to go and get it because I know it's been a bit of a shit year, but there has been a lot of stuff to celebrate as well, and that's what this issue is all about. So if you want to pick it up, celebrate some of the good stuff that happened in 2020. We appreciate your support. It's in shops across the UK right now, or you can order it direct from tinyurl.com/slash get hammer that is tinyurl.com slash get hammer it's a banger very proud of this one uh there's been a lot going on Al. tell me about something that's happened this week in the news of metal trivium have announced a uk tour yes they'll be playing glasgow birmingham manchester and london in november next year support comes from heaven shall burn at tesseract and fit for an autopsy so Trivium were finally, finally bringing uh, what the dead men say officially out on the road next year. We know that vaccines are getting rolled out right now as we speak in the UK. So I'd say the odds are looking pretty good for these tours to go ahead by this time next year. Um, yeah, absolutely. We will all be there at the front. We will. Uh, we actually talked out about how good it will feel to sing some of these songs live. I remember us chatting about that a few weeks ago because Trivium have just become one of the most reliably brilliant bands in metal. And uh, the, the tour they did, the Metal Hammer tour they did with Code Orange, Power Trip and Venom Prison a few years back was one of the best metal gigs of a good old while. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, interested to see uh, this support bill as well. Fit for an Autopsy, very cool young band on Nuclear Blast. Uh, Tesseract, obviously, heavyweights of the tech metal scene in the UK across the last 10 years. So that'll be interesting. Heaven Shall Burn as well. Interesting one for the UK. Obviously a big, big deal in Europe. Uh, and they've come over to do the main support on the UK. So that'll be quite interesting to see how they go down as well, I reckon. Um, I strongly su uh, suspect Mr. Matthew Heafy has had a lot to do with the curation of this bill. Thoughts, yeah, Steve? Like yeah, I reckon so. He likes all of that. I mean, he's been well big on that fit for an autopsy record, uh, I know. And he's on the Daniel Tompkins album that we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. So obviously he's got a relationship with Dan from... Tesseract and Tesseract are a great band. Heaven Shall Burn, I guess, would have been something that he probably listened to a bit when he was growing up, when he was a wee heefy. And um, a wee -fee. 
a wee bit. Don't say that. It's quite disrespectful to a great man. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a funny one seeing them as main support. I'm quite surprised by that because I don't know. They've just not really been over here. They don't really feel like I would never have thought they were that big a deal over here, particularly. But the reaction to it seems to be um, quite good. The opposite of that, what I've just said. So yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously out of touch. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny one because. Obviously, Code Orange will main support on the last Trivium tour, and they are, you know, many of our favourites band. Um, mm. We all love them. We pushed them to hell and back. We talked about the the, uh, the album from this year underneath a lot. But you probably could make a fairly objective argument that Heaven Shall Burn are actually bigger, even still in the UK. But it's just slight. It's just a slightly different vibe, isn't it? But um, Trivium have always mixed up with their support bills, so yeah, very interested to see. Uh, how that all goes down. Can't wait for that. Like, it's a year away, but like, I'm counting down the days already. It's going to be good. Um, in other news, uh, The Who have broken the internet yet again. We're obviously talking about The Who HU here, not the old rock band. Um, they've done a cover of Metallica's Sad But True. And not only is it a, a cover of one of Metallica's biggest and most famous songs, but it's done in, it's a Mongolian language cover. Um, and it's got, one and a half million views in five days. This band are just a phenomenon, aren't they? What's going on? They've got everything. They've got, they're just talented musicians. They've got the whole interesting side of them being Mongolian and using Mongolian instrumentation. And they know how to do a really good video. Like every video the Who do is amazing. Have you guys watched the video? I did, yeah. It's it's like quite impressive kind of production values because it's obviously all done on green screen and they put themselves in all these cool like majestic backgrounds um and it all looks a bit kind of like epic fantasy vibe definitely Uh, epic fantasy with like lightning coming from their hands and then they've got a story where there's a kid who grows up and then dies and then his his soul is kind of like reborn and it's sort of a cycle of life but yeah it's um they put a message at the end just saying they've been fans of Metallica and they really respect their 40-year career and stuff. Um, but, I mean, what a song to cover. It's just it's just uh, so interesting that they've done it. It's Because, like you said, it's Mongolian language and the solo is a solo on the horsehead violin, which I think is the best bit of the song. <laughs> and um, I actually don't like it as much as the normal Who songs, but obviously it's a cover, so you have to kind of judge it differently. But yeah, the fact that the video is amazing and it's got that horsehead violin solo, I can see why it's gained so much traction. It's fun. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it kind of almost, I don't mean, mean this in a very cynical way, but it kind of almost feels like something like made to break the internet. Do you oh, know yeah. I mean? Whoever decided this, whether it was the band or someone involved with the band or whoever, like it feels like they've just got together and just gone, let's do our own language cover of one of the most famous metal songs ever written and just see what happens. And it just seems like it was almost predestined to just be a massive, fun, ridiculous thing that everyone's lost their shit over. I mean, Metallica posted the cover and I can't, I know the who are, they're a big band. Like you only need to look at their Spotify stats to look at how serious a force they are already. But I'm sure there's a lot of bands out there dropping Metallica covers all the time. Do you know what I mean? And the fact that Metallica pushed this lot is pretty cool. This is how the Who got famous. They got famous from doing these insane videos and the videos draw you in and go viral. And then you see what they're doing with the music and how good that is. Without the video, I wouldn't be half as interested in this, but it's just, it really brings it to life. The band have got so much personality and it really comes across. And yeah, they've just done, you know, they did the guest spots, didn't they, with Lizzie Hale and Jacoby Shaddix last year, and they had videos for them as well. So I think it's, they know what works for them and what works in 2020. So yeah, I don't think it's cynical to say. I think it's just true. (laughs) I mean, we talk about kind of unexpected success stories in metal quite a lot, because I guess that in a genre like heavy metal, the kind of odds are stacked against you naturally, especially nowadays to kind of, break through any kind of glass ceiling and become a genuine force in the world of music but even by those standards what the who are doing is just mind-blowing i was actually talking to steve the other day and we were talking about the gigs we've been to this year and obviously it's only been a handful and i completely forgot about the who because obviously we saw them earlier this year and it was just mind-blowingly good fun 
mind-blowingly good fun. Yeah, it was amazing. I like the fact in the cover as well, they managed to get the chant in, the who, who chant, because when you go and see them live, everybody is just chanting who over and over again, and they obviously encourage that and everything. It's become part of the brand. And, like, you'll see them take pictures as well. Like, I went to see them and play the Mongolian Embassy last year, and they'll pose for photos and they'll go, who, like, when they pose and stuff like that. It's just part of the thing. That's just yeah. what it is. And it, it made me laugh in the video where they started just saying who over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So good. <laughs> Loving it. it. It is ridiculous. And I agree. It's not, I don't think it's as just fundamentally good as what they've done just for themselves, but it's really, really good fun. And uh, yeah, shout out them. Uh, another video that got released this week or maybe last week now, but since we did the last podcast uh, is a new architects video. We know that, New album for those that wish to exist is coming in February. Very excited about it. They've played a few tracks off it at their recent Royal Albert Hall stream. Uh, and they've released this, um, another new song now, previously unheard song, Black Lungs. Uh, what did you make of this one, Steve? I liked it a lot, actually. It's good considering last time I was on here, I was sort of having not a moan at architects, but I wasn't being particularly positive around architects, which is pretty rare for me because I do love them. I love them like a, you know, a, a a childhood pet and um <laughs> but yeah i love architects and i thought animals was pretty good i think we spoke about it before and i was like i think this will sound better within the context of the record here in this song i was much more immediately drawn to it i think the riff is great it's got it's got some serious like mid 90s groovy stomp on it as well mm. which I always like any band to be leaning on. So um, it's made me, I mean, not that I was, I, I wasn't not looking forward to the New Architects album at all, but it's made me go, it's the first time I've really gone, oh yes, New Architects. I think it's good, really good. It's funny, isn't it, with a lot of bands, because you talk about, um, sorry, I'll go on, you were about to say something then. No, because you've started a point now. <laughs> well, no, mine was a bit of a sideways point, because I was just going to say, with Architects, they obviously they have a lot of big hits as they showed at that live stream but at the same time i just i can never all their albums feel like such a whole do you know what i mean like they very rarely produce anything that feels like a collection of songs like it all feels part of one big tapestry i often think the same of bands like gajira and mastodon and maybe mastodon have got into a knack of big singles a bit more actually but um it's hard to judge a band like architects just on songs alone but yeah i agree this you know i liked animals um I, I liked the other songs that they played um well they played dead butterflies and discourse is dead they played at the royal albert hall i liked those even though they fit in a bit weirdly with the other tracks um mm. but i agree this one's definitely got me got me pumped what were you gonna say Al? i was just gonna say that the environment's becoming an increasingly big thing in metal i mean it's not new people have written about environmental destruction for a really long time but you just mentioned Gajira and their last single, the surprise single they released, Another World, was all about building a rocket and going to find another planet because of what we've done to this one. Obviously, we spoke on the podcast a while back about Cattle Decapitations, last album, Death Atlas. There's tons of bands. Um, and I just feel like while a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, is the pandemic going to affect people's writing? Are they going to be writing more about the virus? Or, you know, what about politics? How is that going to come into it? Yeah, sure. But I think the environment seems to be kind of the overall theme at the moment, I think, that people are talking about. I just think we're going to see more of that, really. Yeah, I think you are probably quite right. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone can argue that it's a really important thing to be writing about. Um, in bizarre news, although maybe not so surprising if you actually know what Bill Bailey is all about, Bill Bailey is dancing to Metallica on Strictly Come Dancing this weekend. Uh uh, the 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 news is apparently that he's going to be doing Enter Sandman. Um, no surprises there. It is the most famous, maybe the most heavy metal, famous heavy metal song of all time. Um, that should be a good laugh. Quite interesting to see some people have moaned about the fact that he's picked a famous Metallica song to go with. Like, sorry, <sighs> sorry he's not doing the tango to Disposable Heroes, I guess. Yeah. Why didn't he pick something from Swan Song by Carcass? <laughs> Not even the most famous Carcass album. That's what you should be dancing to, Bill. You're a real metalhead. It's fucking ludicrous. It's I mean, bad, isn't it? Just That's take it. It's fucking, you know, it's a metal band, a metal song getting played on Strictly Come Dancing. I mean, either you don't give a shit about You're so, like, into metal that you don't give a fuck about Strictly Come Dancing at all, or... 
you just sort of enjoy it for what it is, which is like, huh, look at Bill Bailey dancing to Metallica on BBC One. I think that's that's an enjoyable little thing, isn't it? Surely. Really, yeah. I agree. It's just nice. Lots of people are going to be watching Bill Bailey, who's a cool guy, dancing to Metallica, which are a cool band. It's fun. Why don't people like fun? It is fun. And, you know, it's not, you know, he, he likes metal. He genuinely likes metal. He loves Mastodon and Opeth and a lot of the kind of proggier metal bands. Um, I did an interview with him for a feature in Metal Hammer. Oh, God, it was probably about seven years ago or some shit now, but it doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually knows who Carcass are, but... Like, well, he definitely would do. He will do, yeah. yeah. I met him at the Metal Hammer Awards when I wasn't even working for Metal Hammer. I just wanted to have a little chat with him because I think he's great. I went around his house. I think I did I did a interview with him um, and I went around his house, went and sat in his house and I stroked his, uh, his hairless cat and then we just chatted about metal for like half an hour. And yeah, he was, I'm trying to think what he, it's about 2015, but he chucked something out at me. That I was like, oh, I think the, the Satanist by Behemoth, he was like, yeah, oh yeah, I've been listening to Behemoth a lot recently. And I was like, oh, and this is sort of, you know, about a year since the album had come out. So it was a bit of a shock, really. It was awesome. Fucking Which great. Pro probably goes deeper than half of the stuff that people who moan about into Sandman actually listen to, to be honest. <laughs> that's yeah. the way the game goes oh well we talked about moaning people on the internet the other week so moaners gonna moan uh let's talk about something good uh we'll do the album of the week this week's album of the week is a new release from daniel Tompkins, he of tesseract fame amongst other projects uh, he's quite prolific isn't he daniel he's done loads of stuff over the last few he years has, yeah. um the album is called ruins and it's kind of a retwigged version of his release castles from last year and it's got some very cool guest stars as well L, I know you know a lot more about Daniel Tompkins' uh, extracurricular work than I do. Um, what do you think of this album? I was just laughing, sorry, because I think you said retwigged, and I just thought that was a funny word. <laughs> <laughs> Not very metal way of putting it, is it? But... What does retwigged mean? No, it's reworked. Um, so this is a really fascinating record. So it's basically a redo of his solo album, Castles. So obviously this record is called Ruins. You can see what they did there, Castle into Ruins. And Castles was more of an electronically driven record and a melodic kind of record, which Dan has form for. You know, he's um, done White Moth, Black Butterfly before, the more electronic projects, and Sky Harbor, the more melodic projects. And so that was really cool. It was, I really enjoyed that record when it came out. It was really well written, really well produced. But Ruins sees these songs being reimagined by a guy called Paul Autis, a.k.a. Chimp Spanner, who's a big guy in the kind of um, metal slash progressive metal world. And the songs have all been amped up, basically. They're just much bigger, heavier, louder. Each song has a new title, most of which come from the lyrics of the original song. And it's more similar to what Dan does in Tesseract. Obviously, Tesseract has the heavy bits and the more kind of, um, you know, the pauses in between, the sort of loud, quiet dynamic. Uh, but this is just more on the heavy side. So C Castles is kind of like the record that you would listen to on an evening when you're chilling out, just having a lovely time. And then Ruins is the record that you listen to, which is more like raging. It's more kind of energetic. It's like the yin and the yang of records, really. And so it's just really fascinating because I was listening to the records side by side. I was trying to listen to the original and then listen to the reworked one and then make my brain try and like work out what was happening. And it's a bit of a head fuck because if you listen to Ruins, you'll be like, this is amazing. This is just a fantastic record, really heavy, really melodic, really intense because it stands on its own really well. And then when you listen to the songs from Castles, um, or if you're familiar already with Castles, it's just really weird because your brain is trying to kind of go, I recognise this song, I can kind of finish off what happens next, but then it's the sound's different. And I kind of, I don't really, I think it's a really interesting approach and I'm surprised more artists don't do this kind of thing. Um, I guess it's like a remix record, but it's remixed by, you know, kind of um, him and, and another guy rather than every song being by a different artist. Um, but it's a really cool way to just take a bunch of already good songs and give them a new twist and have still good songs, but in a different way. Um, it's really cool. It's a great record. I think, you know, 
if you liked castles you'll definitely like this and if castles is too slow for you and just didn't you felt like it, you didn't really get what you needed from it as a metal fan you'll definitely like ruins it's just it's a really good solid heavy intense record um lots of screaming from dan as well no screaming in castles lots of screaming in ruins yeah i was just i was just kind of looking a little bit um about Dan as well before we uh before we started doing this and it and his journey's just been so fascinating hasn't it because he just i mean he, he was still releasing music in between his kind of stints with tesseract but he just kind of seemed to drop off the radar in terms of being like a real presence on the metal scene because he left and like was that when he was he went to be a policeman or something didn't he, he was, no he was a policeman but then he left to pursue music and with tesseract oh. um i believe what happened is that it wasn't massively sustainable for him coming from a career as a policeman to go into a career in music. And he left and he went to sort of pursue a more kind of mainstream direction. I think this is right. We actually did a feature on it. So go look up on loudersound.com slash metalhammer.com. Um, and then obviously he went back to Tesseract. And when he went back to Tesseract, they were, um, they'd stepped up quite a lot in success and they were now much more commercially viable and is able to make a living off them. And he also does tuition and he does Twitch streaming now, which he's had um, mm. a hand in from Matt Heafy, which is what we were talking about earlier. There's a song on this record called The Gift, which is done with Matt Heafy. So yeah, he's had an interesting career. I think, you know, he went into the police force, it was a steady salary, but his heart was always in music. And not only has he done Tesseracts, who we said earlier, and countless times are a fantastic band, he's also done all these little diversions into other bands and other projects that he finds interesting and collaborated with people and done electronic stuff and done kind of more mainstream poppy and rock stuff. And Castles was kind of his solo record, like we've talked about with Greg Pachato, I guess sort of a culmination of things he enjoys, but it just didn't have that um, more forceful aspect of it, the heavier aspects, the more metal aspects. And this is kind of taking that work that was obviously close to him and pushing it into that realm, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's all very, very, very reasonably put. Um, and I think that he's, uh, it's cool to have him back in the scene and kind of being so prolific with all the stuff he's releasing again. Um, he was in Sky Harbor and he did that was White Moth, Black Butterfly as well. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, he is like an artist as well. You know, if you look into his career and you look back at some of the music videos he's done, there's like interpretive dance, there's face pain. Like he's not afraid to experiment with things that are, are in a more artistic realm. You know, we're not talking somebody. I mean, Tesseract's are kind of a thinking metal fans band anyway. It's not like there's sort of all the metal cliches and like fire and, you know, live life fast or whatever. It's not like that. They're more kind of cerebral than that. And, that's kind of the path that he's always taken is sort of delving into things and expressing him. I guess it's just finding the um, the way that he wants to express himself the most without kind of ruling anything out. And I think that's that's a great way to go, isn't it? Because you never know what's gonna, you know, what path you're gonna take, how you're gonna follow. You're not restricting yourself to a set of circumstances or genre boundaries or anything like that. Mm. I need to do a little bit of this before we started, and I'd like the sort of first bit that I heard and. I was surprised at how sort of weighty it was because I mm -hmm. think like I've spoke to Dan a few times over the years at various gigs and Tesseract shows and you know when he was doing Sky Harbor I did a feature on Sky Harbor back in the day as well and he does like more like you say more kind of cerebral music I think in his I think that's kind of what he likes to create so I kind of thought oh a Dan Tompkins solo album is going to be very very melodic and quite slow and quite quiet and i was surprised at how beefy this is but then if it's a reimagining of those songs then maybe it's like basically yeah he cool. like cool, i think he likes kind of electronic stuff new metal stuff there's a again there's a feature on his top 10 albums which i think is on our sister website music radar um but you, you're sure you can find it from hammer and um, it's yeah, it sort of follows those things through. So I was a bit like you. I was surprised it was as heavy as it was. Um, but you know, with Chimp Spanner's involvement, they ob that's obviously the direction they decided to take is just to kind of turn everything up, you know. And like before, you would kind of have like a song that was kind of melodic and sort of a little bit sort of gentle in vibe, and you can kind of sit with it on castles, and then it'll come in on ruins, and it'll, they'll be like key changes faster tempos like gent riffs crescendos 
more aggressive vocals. It's just kind of fuller and heavier and darker and more urgent, really. It's, yeah, like I said, it's the yin to the yang. It's a really, really cool idea for someone who is, I mean, it would be maybe a little bit misleading to say Tesseract are just a heavy band because there's so many layers to their yeah. sound that they do. But it's very cool to see someone still basically from the metal scene and, and who's known for kind of being in some kind of metal band do something where he's come out with something that steps away from that and then he brings it back into that world again. It's really, like you said, it's an unusual way of doing it. It'll be interesting to see more bands take that approach. I think like in a really general broad level it's kind of just what like you know you could say in this day and age people expect you to be one thing or like you know that person is that thing that person is that thing and some bands do get trapped in careers where they have to sort of do the same thing forever and ever or people don't really like them anymore and I think it's really cool to be a human that isn't just one thing because no human is just one thing and to just kind of um, you know, again, like someone like Greg Pachato, you know, just expand out into different places and explore the things you like rather than having to just be a thing. That's positive for everybody. Positive things are nice. It's okay to just have positive things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is uh, Daniel Tompkins with Ruins out this week. Uh, also out this week, Deeds of Flesh album, Nucleus. That's out via Unique Leader. they got a great track rock. Excuse me. A great track record. Easy for me to say. Uh, with killer young bands uh, there's a new demon stealer ep as well called and this too shall pass that's out as well uh, also if you're into black metal you might want to check out the new imha tarakat's album uh, it's called sterrenburster i think that's how you say it um they are german-based black metal duo really cool kind of second wave norway vibes but with lots of kind of scuzzy punk and and kind of catchy rock and roll elements in there as well really really cool they're called imha tarakat uh, which is i-m-h-a T-A-R-I-K-A-T. Um, so, yeah, loads of good shit uh, that's been out this week or coming out this week, which seems to be a bit of a theme for this year. Uh, let's do some reader questions, shall we? Elle, do you want to take this first one? Yeah, I just also wanted to say there's an amazing song out this week, which is really cool. You should look at the video. It's a band called Shepherd's Rain, Polynesian Metalers, and the song's called Aiga, A-I-G-A. And it's really awesome. And yeah, not a full album, but just go check out that song. Okay, we'll do something on them in the magazine soon for sure. We have a question from David Inglis. It's, what are some of your most memorable interviews where someone unexpectedly opened up to give you great material? That's a good question. Um, the one that first came to mind for me, and it's probably not quite like, oh, no one else heard this or no one else got this before, but I was... Uh, just taking baby steps into the music industry properly at the time. Um, so this is, God, over 10 years ago now, which is weird. But uh, I was working for Roxanne, freelancing for them, and I'd just done an internship. And I think it was only about a month or two after that where they offered me an interview with Jonathan Davis. Um, and he was by far the highest profile person I'd interviewed at that point. And I did a phone with him. Um, I remember I was, my mom, I was at my mum's house in her bedroom, is in a like converted loft and I kind of ran upstairs and like I hid on the stairs so that like no one could bother me because I still live at my mum's house and I had like my mum's uh house phone that I was ringing him through on uh and if you ever do interview Jonathan Davis what you do learn about him and maybe you wouldn't be surprised by knowing what he's like but he just doesn't hold back he will tell you he will just bare his soul from the very first second and I think the first thing he said I was kind of like oh well, it, it was for um corn three remember who you are and uh, I think the first question was something quite basic was like, oh, you talked about going heavy again. Um, I think did Ross Robinson come back in for that album? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so it's kind of like, oh, what's it like working with Ross again? I think the first thing he said was something like he made me want to kill myself. And I was just like, what? And it just kind of became this really honest and, and hard hitting and emotional uh, interview, which ended up... Um, getting a, a getting a kind of cover hit on the cover of Roxanne, which I've never done before. Um, so that was a real eye-opener. And, and as I said, if you've ever interviewed or even met Jonathan Davis, he does do that a lot. Like, he's really not afraid to be open, which is one of his really admirable uh, attributes. But for a kind of young music journalist who didn't know what the fuck he was really doing at the time, it was quite, a, quite an experience. So that was probably mine. 
Um, oh, uh, actually, from this year, I mean, now it's all come out and he said it on his Instagram and it's been out a whole bunch of times. I guess I can kind of talk about John Domain from System of the Down at the start of the year. Um, I was just meant to be doing like an interview with him about 10 albums that he liked and it ended up turning into this massive kind of political rant that he went on, which was you know, probably not that different to the stuff that you've been reading from him talking about this year. But he, uh, yeah, at the time I was sitting there kind of open mouth, like, oh my God, he's, he's really going for it. And he said some stuff that was like kind of wild. Um, uh, and he said some stuff that I definitely didn't agree with. I mean, I just sort of listened to him and went, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 It wasn't until he started telling me that, you know, the NHS is in the reason Britain's in such a state is because the NHS is like control. You're being controlled by the government through the NHS. So I was like, okay, John, let's wrap this up a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And, I, and but he was actually a really nice dude. Like the thing is, I know people going, well, I won't listen to Toxicity with a down now, and I'm going to throw my copy of Toxicity away. He called me back. Um, he went. He told me he was going for lunch with Adam Jones from Tour, and then he called me back, and he did. And he was actually like, he seemed like a nice dude. I mean, pretty kind of frazzled in the mind but um but i remember getting off that call and just being like wow i was supposed to have like 20 minutes with john dalmayan and it ended up being 90 minutes over two phone calls and one evening and i saw, i think i had to text you afterwards didn't i Mel, and go mate i don't know what to do with this this guy's just gone he's barely talked at all about the albums and he's just gone on about like the the p- current political state of america it was it was pretty mad to be fair you know when um like time always does time person of the year and it's not it's not necessarily like the person who's done the most good in the world sometimes it's the opposite you know they put donald trump on famously a few years back and there was this kind of fewer about so how can you call him the person of the year and it's like well it's not saying they're the best person of the year or the most likable person of the year it's the say it's it's saying they're the most kind of made the biggest impact on metal this year and like if you take that kind of side of it in terms of making headlines being controversial also managing to get System of a Down back together to record new songs. Mm. You can kind of say John is like would be a nominee there, really unexpectedly. Yeah. I'm not saying he'd get it, but he's, he's it's been a prolific year for him making things happen, whether it's uh, yeah. dodgy statements on the internet or actually producing good music. It's really weird. And this is in January, so I had no idea. I thought we were just going to talk about like Slayer and Pink Floyd and that'd be the end of it. But a really January, fucking hell. Yeah, it's mad, man. It was mad. Um, another one really, really quickly. I'm a massive, massive fan of Life of Agony. And it wasn't for Metal Hammer, but I interviewed Mina Caputo uh, a few years ago. And it was their first album back with her since she had transitioned from being Keith Caputo. And I interviewed her and she came out with a lot of stuff from her childhood and you know she got quite like she is not someone that holds back at all she's i think i like i love life of agony and getting to see mina in kind of full voice and in full force and to be so kind of open about not just how trans how she transitioned but her family's long sort of her, her childhood where she grew up with you know a drug addict family and how she struggled with mental health and all these things and for her to be so honest was was really really cool from someone who I massively massively respect as an artist. That was good. That's awesome. Excellent choice. Yeah, she's a legend. Um, L, do you have one? I don't know. Like, I've not thought about the question annoyingly. Um, <laughs> so, I don't, I, I'm really bad at like picking things. It's like making lists. It's like there's so many times when people said things, and I think. I probably tire people out with my interviews because I always want to know everything. I just ask like a ton of follow-up questions. I just want to know everything. Um, I want to know one from your time at Bazaar. Like, was there someone who you interviewed because he was just stapling his bollocks to a tree or something and then (laughs) a really insightful (laughs) interview on the meaning of life? Well, the big one was that was, um, I really love sea creatures. Like, as a thing I just really like kind of sharks and fish and all that sort of thing and so our editor was like oh you how about you do this interview with this man who's had sex with a dolphin and I was like I don't like them in that way um so I ended up interviewing this man from Florida 
who'd written a book about it. And it was when he was a student, he had ended up forming apparently a relationship with this dolphin called Dolly. And then he'd ended up having sex with her. And then there's this whole kind of like strange romance thing where he'd like moved away and the dolphin had been moved. And he like she ended up, he didn't know what happened to the dolphin. And he found out at the end that she basically, um, in his words, like sank to the bottom of whatever enclosure she was in and died. And he thinks it was a heartbreak, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, John Dolmayan was wacky, fucking hell. <laughs> And then it was all about kind of, um, we spoke a little bit again about because um, it turned out he, that wasn't the only animal he was into and he'd later experimented with dogs, I think it was. But it, he cast it as this like love story. And because it was Bizarre Magazine, we did a design where it was like a Mills and Boone novel and we titled it Wet Dreams. And then all the chapter headings had different like titles and things about like what happened in a story. Um, and obviously we didn't go into detail on um, all of it, but it was more, it was meant to be more about like um, sort of why he had done this and what his book was about and like why like a human interest story, basically. So that was quite weird. Um, and then I also ended up interviewing Ramstein while I was at that magazine as well. And we had this interview called, like how bizarre it is, and you had to ask really weird questions. And some of the Ramstein answers were insane because obviously they have grown up in East Germany on one side of the wall, and it was all kind of things about like, um, you know, going around to their friend's house who had a VCR player because it was like the only one they could find, and some really dark stories as well about like people who couldn't f feed their pets and like killed them and things. This is all very dark material. Um, and some of the things they came out with, I was really um, like taken aback by. There were some crazy stories in there as well. I'm not going to go into detail because I don't have it in front of me and I don't fancy getting sued for saying something wrong. But um, <laughs> that was interesting stuff. And I guess like I find it hard to think back over time, but from this year it was being quite nice to chat to Chino about White Pony and the new Deftones record because those chats weren't that very far apart and in the White Pony one I think he was a little more distance about it because it was a record that's obviously been around for 20 years but with Ohms it was a little bit more emotional because that was obviously more fresh in his mind and it was kind of nice to have those two sorts of conversations looking at different time periods and um, you know I knew from talking to him on White Pony that he'd recently moved house so when I asked him about that for this record he started talking about how he had moved house because he'd been quite lonely where he'd lived previously and um <clears throat> excuse me he talked a little bit about sort of that loneliness and having some therapy and sort of finding his way back and that, I found that quite interesting like I said because we kind of had these two conversations about different records in different time periods so probably most recently that one well, I, my, I just feel very in inadequate with my one now. So, well, well um, that's a good one, actually. Can I just really, really? Oh. Quick... I don't have to. Doesn't matter. It's quite nice, though. No, I was just joking because I just makes me look like I'm only joking. Jordan Davis's one was very emotional, but these are some quite astounding stories. What's your other one, Steve? <laughs> I interviewed um, Vinnie Paul two days running um, once when I was on the radio doing our now defunct radio. Uh, thing i interviewed chad and billy paul from hell yeah and the next day i went to interview the magazine and i think we were doing some sort of van halen which seems quite timely because we were doing some sort of uh tribute to van halen i think it just uh, because it was some sort of anniversary of van halen or whatever and i said to Vinny like oh can i just get a couple of quotes about van halen um and how much they meant to you and stuff and he told me this story and i I I didn't see it coming at all, but I'm like, obviously, you know, I'm a fucking massive Pantera fan. I think anyone my age who was growing up and listening to metal around that time, it's obvious, you know how much, how revered Pantera are. And Vinny told me this story about how, you know, he, he and Dime grew up kind of worshipping the Van Halen brothers and how they had just come off tour and Van Halen were playing in another city, um, 
close to where they lived, but they were like, oh, we've just got back off tour. We're not going to be able to get there in time. And somebody found out about it. And Eddie Van Halen sent his private jet to go and pick up Diamond Vinny. And they went and they took him to the venue. And um, they went in and they, were, like, they got there as Van Halen was sound checking for their show that evening. And Van Halen came up and said, hey, you know, do you want to like jam on our on our with our gear so Vinny sat behind Alex's drum kit and Dime put on Eddie's guitar and the two of them jammed on Van Halen's stuff and then they watched the show and they took Eddie's private jet back to their home and Vinny said to me and this is a point where I was like oh someone's chopping onions in here he was like if this plane went down now he's like I could Dime said I could be a, a I could die a happy man and I think both of us went a bit like quivery lipped and like, you know, that's obviously his brother and it would be much more upsetting for him. But as someone who is, I mean, we're recording this on the anniversary of Dimebag dying. And man, hearing his brother say that, I, I got like, it's the mo- one of the most, probably the most choked up I've got at hearing a story ever when I've been interviewing someone. And it's wow. a really lovely story. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And just so strange to think of all three of those guys not being with us now. It's just fucking bizarre. Mm. Not quite right. Um, let's move on before we all, uh, before I feel like we're cutting onions in here. Um, Sam Welch asks, uh, what is your favorite track of 2020? I think we're going to stick to kind of metal hammer friendly songs here. Um, he is picking Catastrophist by Trivium. Also quite enjoying Do or Die by Amaranth. Those are Sam's choices. What are your, what are your choices for track of the year? We're going to do, uh, our kind of album of the year shenanigans on the podcast next week. But just in terms of individual songs, what are you going with, L? I'm going with, very predictably, Genesis by Deftones from Ohms, closely followed by Urantia on that record. That was my favourite for a while, but I think it's just been overtaken by Genesis. And my most recent played one is Teardrops by Bring Me the Horizon on their EP. Nice. Excellent choices. Mr. Stephen Hill. I'm glad you've said make a metal hammer friendly because you know that I'm going to pick the 1975 if you end up pick that, don't you? that I, had no, I had no idea really? <laughs> really are you serious yeah if, you, if you're too you shy to is the best song of the year hands down comfortably it's fucking wait brilliant. I talked to which song if you're too shy let me know by the 1975 is fucking <laughs> amazing it's the that that's the best song of the year but anyway it's not a hammer one so don't worry about that um a moral by napalm death I think is wicked to hear a band. I think like we said it in the review to hear a band who are like what, 16 albums into their career, 35, 36 years into their career to do something new like this deep into their career is fucking awesome. And to, to pick it up and do it like so comfortably, I think is amazing. Um, Willow by Palm reader off of that new Palm reader album is as good a slice of emotional hardcore that, you will ever hear by anyone ever and um and if it had been made by a big band like people would be losing their fucking mind for it um but i mean probably predictably i'm gonna go with (laughs) any of the 13 tracks on (laughs) underneath by code orange um i don't really know what my favorite is at the moment it changes quite a lot so um, I'm going to say the easy way. The easy way by Code Orange would probably be my favourite overall. That is a massive tune. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, that, that was on my short list for mine actually as well. Um, also on the short list for mine was uh, Scattering the Ashes by Trivium. Um, I mean, catastrophe. Like it's a weird one because if you don't pick a single, you're kind of not really picking a track that helped to define the year. You're just picking a track you like, which is fine. Um, but Scar in the Ashes is my favourite track on what is a blinding Trivian album. Um, and uh, it actually came on. I was driving uh, earlier today and I was playing my Spotify Songs of 2020 thing that they do for you. Other streaming services are available. Um, and Scar in the Ashes came on just as I put it up to my house. So it's stuck firmly in my mind. Um, I'd also probably pick the title track of the Backwash album. Uh, God that has nothing to do with this, leave him out of it. Um, I might have said that the wrong way around, but you know what I mean. Uh, um, I could have picked most of the songs on that record, but because um, that's the first one and it's got the Black Sabbath drop on it, and it was just that first time I'd heard Backwash, courtesy of Steve, and it was just like, oh my God, what the hell is this? That was a real 
kind of moment from this year. Um, but in terms of just like a banger, and it's not really a song that has kind of defined a lot of the year, like, you know, the Code Orange album has, the Trivium album was a massive deal. It's just an absolutely banging track from a great album. And actually, judging by that aforementioned Spotify mix, it is the metal song that I've jammed the most this year. And that is Crack a Doom by Cavellatac, which I think is an absolute screamer of a song and one of the best songs they've ever done. So that is probably my metal track of the year, just because most of the time when I've got in my car and I want to put on a metal song that's just going to get me going, it's always going to end up being that one. So that is mine. Hey, well, another great song is from an album which, you know, we I think you guys probably liked it a bit more than me, but Suicide Machines from that King 810 album. Is yeah. like, in, in terms of, like, because I think when you're picking, like, song of the year, you want there's stuff from other records that I think are, are brilliant but most of them like i would have i would have picked some of like the jay jail record which is now my love but that's feels like one album i think like taking one thing out of it is not quite as good but in terms of like one song you get one song and it's just a fucking bat like a banger suicide machines or jukes as well from that king 810 album they're as as good a kind of straightforward metal banger as i've heard all year pretty much i reckon Catastrophes is really good as well that Sam picked. And was it this year or last year? I can't even remember when it was out yet. When we were in the office and we were just singing what the dead men say over and over again. Was that this year? <laughs> uh, well, we might have been doing that this year, but obviously, uh, sorry, we might have been doing that last year because you've got the album in advance, but it obviously it came out this year. So that'll be a this year shout. We were literally just singing that line over and over again and everyone was getting a bit fed up with us, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, they were. I should say, you did say bring me as well. And even though... Um, like I haven't really played that EP much since it came out I do quite like it I do think that Obey probably deserves a shout because it was one of the few big singles that got dropped this year that a lot of people kind of got excited about and stuff so I guess that's up there even though it's not one of my favourite favourite songs Um, but yeah good year for metal and we'll go into that more next week Steve why don't you uh, ask and then give your thoughts on this next question when will Parkway Drive headline downline download? Fucking, I'm gonna write on bulls up of that. So <laughs> when will that is the easiest question to ask as well and read out? When will Parkway Drive headline download? Troy Trevathan wants to know that. Um, 2023. There you go. Specific, do you think that? Do you think that? Do you think that could be well, on the card? Here's here's what I think. Right, I think if downloads, obviously they're not playing download in 2021 you would imagine they wouldn't be doing that which means they'll probably release an album i would say in 2022 because well so when does reverence come out 2018 so yeah you would think maybe next year we'll get a new parkway drive album right maybe to say we get it towards the end of the year if they come back and they do those wembley shows and they do that arena or they do that arena tour as expected and it goes ahead and it sells out. And let's be honest, I think people are going to want to go and see a band like Parkway Drive when everything comes back. If you then give it another year of them touring it, and maybe they get to O2 size in kind of late December 2022, by the time they come around with another album in 2023, let's say, I think anticipation could be rife if everything goes to plan for a Parkway Drive headline performance in 2023. That's if they, if they don't do it, if they don't do download at all in 2022. That would be what I'd say. If they end up taking a sub-headline slot in 2022, then maybe not. But if they hold off for one more year, I could genuinely see them coming back in three years' time as a, as a headliner if they smash those arena shows and do another arena run and the album's great. And I can see all of that happening, to be perfectly honest. Confident. Thoughts, so? I was going to say the same thing, although potentially 2022 if they released an album next year, but I haven't seen anything going around about that. Um, I imagine they'd end up doing something like a Friday, like was it Avenged Sevenfold did the Friday slot and they were kind of the last newer band to come up to Downloads main stage. And I couldn't think, obviously Reading and Leeds have had um, shared like a co-headliner Download haven't had that, have they? They've just had a sub-headliner or a headliner. So it would be a bit of a turnaround for them to have like a co-headliner thing. So, yeah, I'd I'd go with what Steve said and think that probably like a Friday night, party night kind of thing. Or if it's like the last bill 
they actually flipped it, didn't they? So like the Sunday night bands were on the Friday and the Friday ones were on the Sunday, as in like the newer bands and the older bands. So maybe they'd end up doing like a Sunday one if it was that if that was the newer bands day. I, yeah, I, I mean, go on. No, go on. How you going? Okay, I was going to say as well, obviously a lot of it would depend on the bill as well. And I think if you put a Friday night with Parkway Drive, if you put a wild card sub-headliner, Run with Jewels, Pendulum, something like that, with um, Trivium, Hatebreed, Code Orange, Venom Prison, like subbing them, I think, uh, you know, a significant amount of people who like that shit, Berry Tomorrow. Would it be called yeah. the Steve Hill stage? Well, I'll tell you what, in Berry Tomorrow aren't getting on it if, if it was. <laughs> I, I was listening to Cannibal yesterday, just on a little walk, and I forgot that it was really good. I hadn't listened to it for like, I don't know, a couple of months. Yeah, that's that's unbelievably harsh on Berry Tomorrow that it wouldn't go. That's absolutely, that's that's a nonsense thing for me to say. I like yeah, Berry, Stop I talking like, nonsense. Yeah, I, li I like Berry Tomorrow. I just, if I was going to pick my favourite favourites, that's not my favourite favourites, but I just think if you're putting... If you're getting Parkway on there, you want to get a, you want to get like I don't know if it was if it was Parkway, Run the Jewels, Trivium, Kill Switch, Hatebreed, Welsh oh, oh. Tomorrow, Code Orange. Where's you, the Where's the piss break on that day? My God, you do not. You've had a year long piss break. You don't need piss <laughs> break. <laughs> That is, I would be all up for that. I would, I've said for years, and I think we all have kind of said this with similar bands, I would love Run The Jewels at Download. It makes so much sense. The last two times I saw Run The Jewels were supporting Queens of Stone Age and uh, Bring Me The Horizon. Like, it just makes fucking sense. Um, I would love to see that. Um, yeah, I'd back that. And I, and I kind of back what, what both of you said, really. I think it's possible. I don't know... Parkway Driver, a weird one because I kind of feel like they don't have the same hype of a band like Ghost. If we're talking about future download headliners, it feels like Ghost are almost like the anointed ones who you kind of almost expect it to happen. Whereas, meanwhile, Parkway Driver has just been very steadily and cannily and cleverly building their brand, building those live shows, evolving their music in the right way. Um, so I don't think it's quite as it like I feel like we will see Ghost headline download in the next three or four years. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily put money on Parkway getting that slot, but I think it should happen, and I would love to see it. And I agree, twenty twenty three would make the most sense, I think. And yeah, with that kind of bill, like a bill that feels the right mixture of really good, big, reliable, badass bands like Trivium and Killswitch, and a wild card like. I can't even think of a better one than Run the Jewels, to be honest. Absolutely immense. Yeah, I'd go to that. 2023, what year it's going to be? See you there, lads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, uh, Andy Paul says, what's your best Christmas cracker joke? And then he says, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, Andy Paul. Just tell, tell us a shit joke, basically. Um, uh, why did no one bid for Donner and Blitzen on eBay? Don't know. Because they were too dear. Oh. Uh... Yeah? Who hides in the bakery at Christmas? Don't know. A mint spine. Uh... A mint spine. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Oh, right, here's another one. Why don't you ever see um, Santa in hospital? Hmm... Is it a topical? No. <laughs> it's Christmas, so yes, sort of. I got one I saw today. Wait, oh, Steve, you this joke? Oh, sorry, I thought you said it. Private health care. Uh... I have heard that one before. That's what I thought you'd said the answer, sorry. Um, uh, I saw one today. Um, why, couldn't, uh, why couldn't Mary and Joseph get into the meeting? Something about Zoom? Because there's no Zoom at the end. Come on. Come on. Awful. Do you know what my favourite... It's not Christmassy, but do you know what my favourite... Like, the quickest joke I know is, the quickest one-liner? Mm. I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. 
That's good. Steve's nearly laughing. Come uh, on. Oh, I the best one-liner is a visual joke, so I can't really use it for this podcast. But it you can describe a- it. Um, do you hear about the one-armed fisherman? He caught one this big. I just held one hand up, everyone. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. But I'll put us out of our misery. Now. Let's do this last question. <laughs> All right. Joe Heaton has a question for us. <laughs> if things do indeed get better next year, to so the point when regular gigs can return, do you think we're facing a potential problem where every touring musician wants to tour at once, leading to fans' wallets being stretched too much and tours potentially being undersold due to a massive saturation in the touring market? Basically, will all the bands come back at once and then get screwed over because people haven't got the money to go and see them all at the same time? Always looking on the bright side of life, isn't he, Joey? And <laughs> <laughs> I've not thought of that, but that's a very good point, isn't it? It is a very good point. Yeah, it's very it's good. Very really good point. Um, yeah, and a lot of people have been financially screwed over this year. So, I mean, the thing is, like, if only they could tour in different places. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's yeah, there's a lot of things that are going to affect touring moving forwards like the pan- the knock-on effects of the pandemic will in many ways obviously unfortunately in this country we've got brexit still looming over the whole thing and that's gonna fuck up a lot of stuff sorry if there's people out there who don't like to hear that but it's true um so yeah there's gonna be lots of things i mean what i will say with the whole kind of saturation point is that really most bands what most bands have really done is just move their plans back a year so i don't think it's like you are seeing some bands reschedule gigs that were going to be in September and now in February or whatever. But, you know, if you look at what Trivium have just announced, I'm pr- it's probably safe to say they've basically taken the original touring plan for what the Dead Men say and moved it back a year. Like, Download's gone back a year. Um, Ramstein moved their big gigs back a year. Do you know what I mean? So hopefully it will be okay because I'm sure everyone wants to go to as many gigs as possible. It's probably yeah. fair, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, cool, yeah. I, I was just, we, we, talk, we were talking the other day and I was like, I can't believe that it's, I haven't been to a gig for so long. I'd literally go and see anyone. Now, I mean, I was getting, you live, you know, we, I lived in London 10, 10 months ago and I was getting a bit of f- gig fatigue and I was like, oh, I don't want to, I can't be bothered. And you, like now, I can't believe how much I took that shit for granted. I mean, I'd go to fucking anything now. I'd go to Elstorm. I wouldn't go to Hellstorm. No, I was gonna say I wouldn't go to Hellstorm. No, I was wondering though if there's gonna be a bit of the opposite of that as well, because I totally take your point, and that being starved of something for so long can make you appreciate it even more and yearn for even more. But there's also been a lot of stuff written generally about people reassessing their lives and moving out of city centres and realizing that they don't want to spend like loads of time um, doing things and that they want to spend more time with their family and that kind of thing so i mean i'm not saying gigs are like that because gigs are fun and not work unless you're literally working at them Mm. um but yeah there's a little bit of me that was a bit worried that almost um i don't know that some community might go that people might sort of decide they've grown out of music or decide that they want to go and like live in the country and just like never go and see bands again and i don't think that would be the majority of people but there is a little bit of me that wonders if there will be some people that sort of almost think the opposite to you, Steve, that they kind of like move on from it. But then they didn't really like it in the first place, did they? <laughs> if they think... What I would say is I have moved out to the country and trust me, it's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> if it helped I mean... feel any better, I live in London, but I haven't been into London for months and months and months. And I've barely left my house in the last six weeks. So. Oh, yeah. Going, going to a gig for the first time because it's nice to think I mean it's not like there's going to be some sudden dam break and then we're all rushing to normality again but it's going to be weird when we're in a gig again for the first time because it's we're just not used to being in a space with a big group of people without being very wary of our surroundings and wearing masks and keeping distance and all the rest of it so it might be quite an angst inducing first experience to be honest because you're as a kind of as an animal you're just not tailored to that thing at the moment um but hopefully there will be a kind of breakthrough in that process and then it'll just be like yeah back in gig, and then once you got back on tube you'll be like well you know um, i remember what crowds are like 
Well, I've been, I have been on the tube quite a lot, to be fair, this year. Um, obviously, only ever kind of five, ten minutes in a row, but um, not in rush hour, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, it will be strange. It will be strange, but normality is on the way. People are getting vaccinated right fucking now. So the light's at the end of the tunnel, guys. We got this. Uh, next week is the season finale of the Metal Hammer podcast for 2020. We're going to run through the top 20 albums of the year that you can read about in the magazine right now. Um, there's obviously a top 50 in the mag, but we're going to run through the, the best 20 of those. We're going to talk about some of our own favorite personal choices from a bunch of other categories that we're going to pick between now and then. Things like guilty pleasures, underrated bands, all that good stuff. It's going to be a big old finish to the year and we're going to celebrate all the good stuff that happened in 2020, because despite everything, there was a lot of it. Uh, don't forget to pick up that issue as well, the brand new issue of Metal Hammer, the ultimate review of the year, packed with cool gifts, uh, brand new interviews, and all about the bands and the albums that defined your 2020. Um, in the meantime, keep being safe out there, and we will see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye.